episode 74 of glass of joe podcast joe we took a little break here we were watching the uh the madness unfold what a tournament it was it's monday here so we got the championship game coming up tonight at 9 20 joe they need to make this game way earlier yeah it's <laughs> 920 needs to be like 7 Think about the West Coast, man. You got to think about the West Coast. I get that, but it's like Sunday night football, right? I mean, they're used to it. Just have it at 8 o'clock. Game starts at 5. 920 is crazy, but should be a great game tonight. Kansas and UNC battling for the title. Um, Joe, are you more shocked that UNC has made it to the championship game, or were you more surprised that they beat Duke yesterday? Or a couple of days ago? Uh, I don't think either are too surprising, honestly. I mean, like, I never – I would have to say that they made the title game, I guess. Um, when we had that the, – the bracket breakdown with Worm, like, we talked about it where we felt that a team from that quadrant could make a run, whether it was UCLA, whether it was UNC. By far the weakest number one seed in that region was Baylor. Um Kentucky going out early with a stroke of luck for the rest of the teams. Mm. And from that point on, like it was just wide open. And this UNC team, like we saw all year long, how good they could be at their peak. If UNC, and that's the thing with college basketball and, and why the tournament's so special. Um, if UNC played at their peak all year. The peak of that team was good enough to be a two or a three seed, I think. So they hit some injuries in the middle of the year. They hit some lulls in the middle of the year. They tanked a little bit. They peaked at the right time. So really you had a three seed caliber team disguised as an eight seed and they get to go up against the weakest one seed. Uh, the, the matchup against UCLA was the one that really could have got either way. And then from there, I mean, you, you get a 15 seed in the elite eight and then you play a Duke team that you beat by 20 on the last day of the regular season. So beating Duke wasn't too surprising to me. We saw them do it already on the road in Cameron. Um, so I would say making it, I guess, has to be more surprising, but if you would have told me before the tournament started that they make this run, I wouldn't have been shocked just because of the way the draw went. I wouldn't have picked it. Um, but as you go about the teams who can make a deep run, they were probably on the list. UNC, it's, it's an unbelievable story. On February 16th, they had lost at home to Pittsburgh, and they had danger. They weren't going to be in the tournament. They were 0-7 versus quad one teams, and then they got hot. They win that game at Duke, and then the rest is history. I'm stunned though that Duke lost. I really, really am. I, After, I bet you wouldn't see Moneyline the other night. I'm not. I'm oh, not, yeah, that's. I'm surprised you're that stunned that Duke lost. Shocked. Once they beat Texas Tech the way that they did, they didn't miss a field goal in the final eight and a half minutes of the game. Then Gonzaga got knocked out, so they didn't have to play them. And then just the way it was lining up, the fact that Coach K got to play UNC, the fact that his first title was against Kansas. And now he had an opportunity to get his last one against Kansas. It just seemed ah, like so you were looking at it in the his in, in the way of the stars aligned. As far as the, as far as the matchup, I think UNC is a better team than Duke. Just on paper, the way they're playing, and they showed it when they beat them by twenty to end the year. So I, I didn't. As far as the game itself, like I, I was on the UNC. Side, I agree. I see where on you're paper, from in the, I see on, where you're from on in the paper, day. you know, it was just kind of like when Virginia won it all. You just kind of like you just fair enough. You know, it was just one of those. So uh, when UNC beat them shocking hubert davis joe if he wins tonight i think he has that job for life until he doesn't want it anymore if he misses the tournament like six straight years then that's one thing but to beat duke twice in in your first season and to win the national title i i mean he's got equity there for a long 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 time 
So uh, great job to him. And I was tweeted, Roy Williams was Roy Williams a system coach. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, Roy Williams, it's fascinating. Now the storylines are all around him tonight because these are the two coaches that seceded him, Bill Self, Kansas and Hubert Davis, at UNC. So cool for him to be in attendance tonight. I also tweeted out that this UNC team reminds me a lot of the UConn team that won it back in 2014. Mm. UConn was a seven seed. They had a nice little backcourt with Shabazz Napier and Ryan Boatwright, just like Carolina does with RJ Davis. And of course, Caleb Love. And that UConn team, if you remember, Kevin Ollie was in his first season replacing Jim Calhoun. So right. it's like the parallels are kind of crazy. UConn in that title game beat Kentucky, who's another blue blood. And UNC gets a blue blood tonight in Kansas. So who do you like to win the game? Are you riding with UNC? I'm not. I mean, this is that was the other thing that I kind of hung my hat on when we had that episode with Worm. I was like, you know what? Of all the years, this seems like the year that either Kansas or Gonzaga gets it done. Now, Kansas has been there, won it before. I don't mean to say they get there first like it would have been for Gonzaga, but Kansas hasn't won since then. And the whole thing now about Bill Self has been, can he do it? Can he get them there? Can he get them that title? And they had a very mediocre run to the title. Like, there was never a game that stood out. Uh, even Villanova in the Final Four, they were missing guys, Villanova. Like, it's just been a very quiet I think there's going to be a lot of casual college basketball fans who turn it on tonight. And they're like, Oh, Kansas is in the final. And like all the talk on final four Saturday was about Duke UNC. There's going to be a lot of people who are even surprised to see Kansas there, but they have the talent. They have everything you look for in a title winning team. Um, and again, like I, like I said, this just felt like the year where amid all the possible craziness you can get in the run up to the title game, we're going to be left with one of those top seeds standing. And that's still what I feel like is going to be the case. Um, UNC's hot. Uh, I definitely like them maybe plus the five points that I think it's, it is they're getting the last time I checked. Uh, but I will go Kansas outright. It's tough. I've bet against UNC Joe in every game this tournament. I've bet against them in every single game against the spread and all they keep doing is winning and covering. Um, but I'm with you. I'm going to take Kansas money line. Kansas's path during the tournament has been extremely favorable. They played a 16 seed, obviously. Then they got a Creighton team who had injuries. Then they played Providence, who was one of the most overvalued four seeds you'll ever find. Then, you know, they got a 10 seed in the Elite Eight. And then they played Villanova without Justin Moore. And here they are playing an eight seed in UNC. Obviously, we know UNC is no eight seed now the way they're playing. But it's just the way that the draw has been favorable to Kansas. Like you said, it just kind of seems like it's their year and they're just they're catching breaks and they're healthy and they're playing well and now Abaji's cooking because he really didn't do much through their region but then he got to the final four and he couldn't miss a shot so the fact that he he got cooking Joe another thing too about this matchup is I fear for UNC that you know sometimes there are these semi-final games that are so built up like when you have when you had the usa versus the soviets when mississippi state shocked the world and beat uconn in women's college hoops those were semi-final games and people forget that they had to go play a final right shortly after that and i think that unc duke game because of all the hype all just the energy that went into it i'm really interested to see how unc comes out in the first like 10 minutes of this game how they're playing how they're shooting how Kansas looks, how they look with Kansas just running up and down the floor. It's going to be fascinating. My favorite play is probably Kansas first half because, uh, you know, if UNC comes out and they're hitting, then 
just props to them. And they're going to keep it rolling. But uh, I'm with you. I like Kansas to win the game. And if UNC does it again, then props to them. They have swept me throughout the tournament, a clean 6-0. and So good for them. There you go. And it's Masters week, too, so we get right into that. Both wearing our green. I got the sign behind me, all excited. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, look, Tiger's dominating the headlines. Uh, it's Honestly, it's incredible that he's playing uh, or that he might play. Um, he's been 14 months removed now from the accident. He did an interview when they were at Riviera for the Genesis Invitational and Jim Nance and Nick Faldo were asking him, like, are you going to play the Masters? Are you going to play the Masters? How are you feeling? And he tried to, like, downplay it. And, and myself, I'm thinking, like, like there's no way. Um, but, look, I mean, being the athlete that Tiger is, I think he's going to give it a go because I really don't think there's any harm in playing and then withdrawing throughout the tournament. If you play – 14 15 holes and you're just like my legs can't my back I I can't you know then fine but I just can't see Tiger getting there practicing and not even giving it a shot so I think he's gonna play now I don't know how long he'll play for the real fascinating bet with Tiger is will he or won't he make the cut this will be his 24th start in the Masters if he does start Joe do you know how many missed cuts Tiger Woods has in the Masters in his career the way you're phrasing it and the way that I know he just owns that course and knows it like the back of his hand, I'm going to say zero. That is correct. Up zero. That is correct. <laughs> Tiger Woods has never missed a cut at Augusta. But for me, I think that that could be a real good play for me is for him to miss the cut because even though his course history is so good there and he obviously knows the ins and outs of that golf course as well as anybody, just the physical toll, Joe – and see, the thing about the Masters is that the field's shortened, right? So instead of a normal tournament where it's like top 65 to make the cut, it's top 50 at Augusta. And then the field, I mean, it's the best of the best. All the big dogs are playing. So not only does he have to play, does he have to play well, but the other guys he's competing against are going to play well. So I think if Tiger plays, I just I don't see him making the cut. And I know it's going to be a popular bet because everybody's going to be rooting for him to make the cut. And people tend to bet on what they want to root for. So I think that's a way that I would look at attacking the Masters is if Tiger plays, bet him to miss the cut. If he makes it, I wouldn't be surprised because it's Tiger Woods. But I just think uh, I think that's a good play is for Tiger to miss the cut because, man, Augusta is a tough course to walk. And coming back in that tournament and putting that toll on your on your legs, I think, is just a tall task. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where his head's at, and there's really no way inside Tiger Woods' head. Like, on one hand, like you said, there's no harm in giving it a go, and then if 14, 15 holes in, you got to withdraw, you withdraw. Right. At the same time, like, it's a Tiger, and I don't think he wants to have this perception of weakness around him, right? Mm. So, like, I don't, I don't know that he would start it without the intent of at least getting through the first two days. Um, Good point. So, like, I, I don't know if that's an option where he would withdraw – um, and then I wonder if, if he feels like there's a chance he might have to withdraw, would he even just last moment say, you know what, I'm good. I'll, I'll be back when I'm back. I'm not ready yet. So it's, it's psychologically tough to try to figure out which way he might lean. If he plays, I really can't see him making the cut. I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that one. Uh, I'm actually about to make a bet. I think with my boss, um, just on the side that, that, uh, he's not going to make the cut. My boss loves tiger. Um, and, and so do we all, I mean, like, come on, of course. but it's Tiger, it's, of course, but I think he's in that group of people where he's thinking with his heart rather than his brain. 
um, the reports from the course are that he's walking with a noticeable limp yeah. favoring that leg. Matt Barry just tweeted it out a little bit ago where he's struggling to walk already at a practice route on Monday. So if his swing is fine, great, but he's going to have a practice round now. He's probably going to have one or two more practice rounds before you get going. Like how is his body going to respond? And, and if, you know, if he does give it a go and guts it out, like I said, I can't see him withdrawing because he's going to want to grit it out and, and look tough, put on that persona. If he gets through Thursday and he's incredibly sore, how much is he going to be affected on Friday? Or maybe he comes out and he shoots around par on, on Thursday, but could he be a couple strokes over par on Friday as he's just trying, trying to get through it and not letting out how much he's actually in pain? Um, so I'm with you. I can't see him making the cut if he gives it a go, but then again, it's tiger. So like, even as much as, even as much as you and I are trying to use what's between our ears instead of what's in our chest to decide this, we're still, we still end up going back to the heart a little bit. So it's so tough, but as far as, as far as the, the, the tournament as a whole, like every year I, I struggle with trying to make a pick, you know, it's just the, the, the of the world, the Matsuyamas of the world. It's a course where if you're good at it, you're good at it. Like, how many, I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you probably don't either, unless you take a quick look at it. How many times has Ustazen even like made the top 10 out of non-masters major? Like it's just, it's just a course. I mean, so, certain guys are just great at this course. They know it well. It's there every year. You get familiar with it. Um, Bubba Watson, like a guy like that. Bubba's not playing the best golf, but could Bubba turn around and have a great couple days and be at the top of the league? Absolutely. So you just never know. Uh, the two names that I'll say with without any level of certainty that I'm looking at this week and I'm going to put a little bit of a sprinkle on um, one a little bit more of a name brand than the other. I like JT at plus 1400. I think like his time is coming at the Masters where he continues to just play well there. Um, he's plus 1400. And then the one that I like for a little bit of a longer shot as I'm scrolling now and, Oh, he actually dropped when I saw him the other day, he was 6,000. Now he's plus 8,000. Abe answer. Uh, he's been there twice and both times he's looked really good at Augusta. Uh, I think the stat I saw was of his eight rounds that he's played there. Cause he's made both cuts in both his trips. He's had four rounds of the eight in the sixties. So you talk about guys who like this course, who are good at this course. Um, he seems like he could become one of those guys where I don't know what he's going to do elsewhere. I don't know what he's going to do on tour. I don't know what he's going to do at St. Andrews in a couple of months, but I know that he's going to play Augusta really well. So you got him at plus 8,000, got JT at plus 1,400. Those are the two that I'm probably going to sprinkle on. And, and that's it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go any further than that with the matches because again, it's just, it's just so open every year. Anybody can catch fire. You know, the course you start doing well and that's it. Yeah. I'm looking at the weather forecast now and there's like a 50, 50, percent chance of rain on thursday but then it's supposed to clear up friday saturday sunday so weather shouldn't be too much of an issue i mean when you're picking at the names at the top it's so tough i mean because obviously they play the course every year and guys like rory and dustin i mean they've played it for over 10 years um my my favorite bet this week i like three guys a lot this week that i'm going to bet to win the first one is john rom and the big reason is i just feel like nobody's talking about him you know, the guy's favored in every tournament that he plays in. But coming into this one, I just feel like he's getting overlooked. And sometimes in golf, when that tends to happen, guy usually plays really well. Another guy is Brooks Kepka. Um, Brooks is starting to get healthy again, and we know what Brooks does in majors. And yeah. I'm just going to trust that Brooks plays well in majors. And the third guy is Victor Hovland. Hovland this season in some big events played really well. At Riviera, he was right there. Arnold Palmer Invitational, he was right there. 
My fear with Hovland is that he's got some Shoffley in him in that he'll be in contention, but I just don't trust him to win. So I could look at him as like a top five, top 10 kind of guy. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned a name like Abe Answer. I'm looking at guys like Sung J.M., who I think could, could have a really good week. A guy like Tommy Fleetwood. Feels like every year there's like one major that Tommy contends in, and I think that the Masters this year could be that one. Um, but like you said, Joe, I mean, it's so tough. You can make a case for JT. You can make a case for Morikawa. Cantlay was red hot to end the season last year, and now nobody's talking about him coming into this one. Cantlay's a guy that I could definitely see myself backing. So uh, it's tough, man. Masters 2 is also a great golf tournament to bet live because the back nine is so crazy on a Sunday with 12 and the par fives and just all the birdie bogey, double bogey opportunities and the leaderboard just constantly shuffling that you can get some pretty good value on a Sunday betting that tournament live. So it'll be fun. I'm excited for it, especially if Tiger plays and only add to it. And the fact that, like you said, every year at Augusta, there's usually like a clear kind of front runner of a guy who's going to win this year. I just don't feel like we have that. There's like, it's, there's like six of them. A lot of people like Cam Smith. A lot of people like Scotty Scheffler, the new number one in the world. So, you know, Spieth obviously already always plays well there. So a lot of guys who you can make a case for. Yeah, answer. Like I said, he's the only one that stuck out to me, like trying to go off the board a little bit, thinking that Matsuyama uh, line of thinking from last year, where somebody, uh, again, from off the board kind of comes up and sneaks up on you. Again, he's, he's only been there twice. Uh, he's made the cup both times. 50% of the time he's had rounds in the 60s. So he's one who might be in contention and might be there. But like I said, you never know with Masters. It's just it's such a great group. It's such a great field. And they play it every year. So you have no clue. And that's why like, I, I, I don't even like betting it so much. I just like sitting back and watching it. I don't yeah. want to be rude for anything. I just want to sit back and enjoy, you know. I'm with you. It's it's great to watch. Um, all right, Joe. Well, look, some big soccer news happened this week. Yeah. So uh, I was actually sitting out on my couch. My roommate's a big soccer guy, and we were watching the World Cup draw. And, uh, you know, no group of death coming up in this World Cup, really. I mean, the Germany-Spain is probably like the big headline of the of the – group obviously usa england will be a big one um was there a country's draw that you thought was favorable to them did you have a favorite group how was your um, day's draw what are we looking at as far as a favorite group i really am going to enjoy watching group f belgium canada morocco croatia morocco is kind of the ugly stepsister of that group where it's like all right they're there but yeah you got belgium as one of the favorites you got croatia made the run to the final four years ago. Uh, and then you've got Canada, who are one of the hottest teams. They came through CONCACAF qualifying first in the group. A lot of young talent, Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, two of the top players at their positions in the world under the radar, incredibly well coached by John Herdman. So that's a team in that group that can make some noise in every single World Cup. You get a team who's ranked like top 10, top 12 in the world, who surprisingly doesn't get out of their group. And this is the one that I'm looking at for that to happen. It's not Belgium. Belgium is very good, but Croatia has a lot of older players. And there's this every time since 2010, sorry, since 2006, Italy won the world cup. Didn't make it out of the group in 2010. Spain won the world cup. Didn't make it out of the group in 2014. Um, Germany, in, 24, right? in 2014, Germany won, didn't get out of the group in 2018. 
So you go to the finals and then the next time you have so much turnover or, or you don't have turnover. And now instead you just have older players and they don't have any of them anymore. And that's where Croatia is. They have older players. Um, they didn't look too convincing at the Euros. So I could very much see Belgium and Canada being the two that come out of this group and Croatia being the surprise team that doesn't uh, get out of their group as far as name recognition and starting to look at some of the, uh, the futures on the World Cup to qualify from that group, Group F. Canada's actually plus 280. They're last. Uh, Belgium's minus 850. Croatia's minus 170. Morocco's plus 150. Canada's plus 280, getting no respect. Um, I think they could be that hot team that wow. surprises people and gets out of the group. So I like them at plus 280 to get out of that group. Um, going through the rest of it, like you said, there's no group of death. It's very even. Um, every group for the most part has two clear cut teams or at least one clear cut. And then you figure it out for second and third place. I mean, I'll just run through them real quick and then I'll circle back to group B where the U S is in a minute. Cause that's the one that I want to focus on uh, group a Netherlands, Senegal, Ecuador, Qatar, Qatar is going to surprise a lot of people. Uh, they've got the home field. I got to see them firsthand and call a couple of their games in the gold cup last year when they were invited to play as they're kind of prepping for this. Their whole team plays for two club teams in Qatar. And once this World Cup is over, they're all going to be bought pretty much by a lot of top teams. And this is going to be their coming out party. They specifically stayed on two teams in Qatar to gain cohesion and chemistry for the World Cup. I think they'll do better than people realize. Um, only problem is Senegal has talent. Ecuador has talent. I don't, it's going to be a real tough go of it to get out of the group. Would not be surprised if they come in second. It's easily Netherlands group to win. Uh, Qatar is plus 500 to qualify. So another one where you maybe sprinkle there. Russia in 2018 was in a similar spot as a non-favored team to get out of their group, and they make a run to the quarterfinal. So uh, you get that home field. You never know. I could see it there. Like I said, I'll skip group B with the U.S. I'll come back to it in a second. Uh, group C is Argentina, Poland, Mexico, Saudi Arabia. That was Clear a group cut. I liked the best. That's a really fun group. Clear-cut Argentina win. Poland-Mexico is the interesting one. Saudi Arabia has got absolutely no chance in this group. Um, Poland is Robert Lewandowski and everybody else. Yeah. Mexico is a lot better than they get credit for, even though I hate them with a passion. <laughs> um, I think Mexico comes in second in this group, and, and Poland is kind of left on the outside looking in. Um, but it's, it's clearly Argentina's group to win. And Argentina, this might be Messi's best chance. Um, I think on paper, this team is better than the team that made it to the final in 2014. Mm. And he's always been a guy in his career who has been better for his club than for his country. But that has flipped in the last couple years. And he won Copa America this past summer. He hasn't been performing really well with PSG. He's been performing better with Argentina. So I think he realizes this is his last chance to win a World Cup yeah. and, and solidify that part of his legacy. So He's got that motivation, and like I said, I think it's their best team on paper that he's ever had going into a World Cup. So I like them to not only get out of the group but make a deep run. Um, group D is France, Denmark, Peru, and then the fourth team is still up in the air based on the, the intercontinental playoffs. I'm sorry, Tunisia, and then Peru, Australia, UAE could be that fourth team. Um, France clear-cut here. Denmark should be a clear-cut number two. Group D is pretty easy to solve. None of the other teams really have a chance. Uh, France, another team that is people think is going to have that hangover in the same way that I delineated from 06 and that the next one 
the winner has surprisingly missed a group. The difference is the youngest of all those teams to win the World Cup was this France team as far as average age. And all those guys that won it in 2018 are still in their primes. So they were really, if you think about it, they were a World Cup too early last year to actually go and get the win. So they're not going to have that same issue. And people are going to pick against them because of that history. But I don't think they have that same issue going forward. So I like them. And again, to make a deep-ish run, only problem is France and Argentina are my two favorites that I like to win it all. They're going to be on the same side of the draw. So only one can make it, and that's the problem. Uh, Group E is the Spain-Germany group. Don't need to say anything there. Um, Japan, New Zealand, Costa Rica, thanks for playing. (laughs) Group F, I already touched on. That was Belgium, Croatia, Morocco, Canada. Group G, same thing. Brazil, easy go of it. Switzerland, Serbia, Cameroon, the other three. Switzerland, Serbia, either way for those two to come in second. Eileen, Switzerland. And then lastly, Group H, Portugal, Uruguay, South Korea, Ghana, this should also be clear cut Portugal and Uruguay. Like the, the, the only surprises could be, like I said, Croatia. Uh, a lot of people like Poland, but I think Mexico gets in there. Uh, other than that, like you said, no group of death. There shouldn't be too much upheaval. What you can get and you always do get is um, uh, the teams that maybe you think win and have, because group, if you win your group, you come in that first slot, you lose come in second and you go to the other side of the bracket. So you yeah. could get, that's always up in the air. You never know. Um, but it's, it's the nature of the beast. Like you can, you can have a plan on paper for the world cup, thinking how the bracket's going to go. And then it all goes downhill from there because you don't know, like in 2018, Croatia was supposed to be on the left side of the bracket. Um, as you kind of go through your predictions, Argentina is that surprise team that falters. Croatia wins the group and Croatia ends up on the easy side of the draw. So like, you just, you just never know. Um, that's why it's so tough to pick a winner sometimes because you don't know who's going to be on which side of the bracket. So I'll go France and Argentina as my two teams that I like. They'll probably be on the same side of the bracket. France is plus 600. Argentina is plus 1,000. Um, Brazil is the favorite at plus 500. Don't love Brazil. Don't love Brazil. England's third at plus 650. Don't love England. Uh, and then Spain and Germany are next at plus 1,000 as well. So those are your favorites. Um, and at the end of the day, again, it's just going to matter who ends up on which side of the draw. I do like Lauturo Martinez of Argentina for the golden boot, plus 1,200, a little bit off the board. Uh, Messi distributes the ball terrifically to Martinez, and this could be kind of his coming out party. He's doing a great job scoring right now in Italy with Inter, so that's another one I like. And uh, stop me if you got any questions there, because I'll get into Group B with the U.S. in a second. <laughs> well, yeah, Group G, why is Brazil favored? Who do they have besides Neymar? Uh, they have a lot of young talent, uh-huh. and they have a lot of guys, and this is always the case of Brazil. You've got your Neymar, then outside of that, it's a lot of guys who you kind of forget about, and they're always still there, and they're going to be really good. Um, they just came off a, a trip to the final in Copa America where they lost to Argentina. I don't agree with them being the favorite. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. They I'm did, surprised France isn't. Yeah, they did get the number one ranking reclaimed recently. Um, but uh, I, I don't love Brazil. Of those favorites, they're the one team. They're going to get through the group. They're probably going to make the quarterfinal, even the semifinal. I just don't love them going up against France or Argentina or even Belgium head-to-head necessarily. So Sorry, not Belgium, Germany head-to-head necessarily. Who could be this year's Croatia, do you think? That's always the million dollar question. Could it be America? It, 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 
I don't think it could be. Um, there's always a team like that, like I said, where the draw just opens up. Maybe right. you get some of the teams that are the favorites and they come in second in their group and they all end up on one side of the bracket. Um, Germany isn't really doesn't really fit that mold because Germany is a, a recognized powerhouse who has yeah. won the thing before. But like nobody's talking about them because they have struggled so much and they have a new head coach and they just haven't been themselves the last couple of tournaments. Uh, and they're in a group with Spain where they're not even favored to win their group. They're supposed to come in second. So like they're, they're not that Croatia mold, but like they could have that type of run. The Netherlands, I guess I would say is a team who could do it. They have a lot of talent. Uh, they have a pretty soft group. A the the problem again for them is they'll they'll probably be on the same side of the draw as Argentina and France. But as I've said, you never know. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. one of those two teams comes in second, and that boots them out out of your side of the bracket. So, I guess Netherlands kind of fits that mold where they're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth best odds at plus thirteen hundred. Um, so they probably fit that Croatia mold a little bit better than me saying Germany. So I guess the Netherlands kind of fits that. Still crazy that Italy's not in this thing. I, I'm looking at this and I'm like, yeah. who did they? Uh, who did they lose out to? Like, who's the country that took their spot? They had a one-game playoff. The way it worked in Europe, there were three separate brackets of four teams okay. as that final playoff. In their four, it was Italy against Macedonia. It was Portugal against Turkey. Ah, it was someone random that they sure. beat handily. Um, and Italy lost to North Macedonia in the one-game playoff. North Macedonia scored in the 92nd minute and won one nothing. Uh, so that was it. Because in their in their initial group stage, they were in a group with Switzerland, and Switzerland won the group. So Italy came in second, had to go to the playoff, and then massive upset against North Macedonia. So second time in a row, they missed out. Same thing happened back in 2018. They went to the playoff. They lost to Sweden back then, which was more respectable. Like Sweden's a legit team. Um, but North Macedonia, credit to them. They're a minnow by all definitions, and they pulled it off. So, all right, Group B. I saved the U.S. group for last because this is the one that I, I don't get the odds. I don't get it. And you'd think that you, it almost have like that Dallas Cowboys effect mm. where people should be betting the U.S., so their odds should be like deflated instead of inflated. But to win the group – and the fourth team in the U.S.'s group is not set. It could be Ukraine, Wales, or Scotland. They have right. a playoff that they got to go through. To win Group B, England's minus 240. Wales, Ukraine, Scotland are all plus 600. And the U.S. is plus 700, which makes absolutely no sense to me. The U.S. is ranked ahead of Wales, Ukraine, and Scotland. Much better team on paper. Um, the way the schedule sets up, the U.S. will play that playoff winner, in the first game, yep. England in the second game, Iran in the third game. A team like Iran is always dangerous because if you play them in game one or two, they're going to be compact and try to get a tie out of it and keep themselves alive. You get them in game three, they're probably going to be in a position where they need to win and get help to get through Iran. So they can't play like that. And the same thing happened for the U.S. this past Sunday when they torched Panama. Panama usually sits compact. But they had to win, so they opened up, and the U.S. won 5-1. to one. So I really like them to get the three points in the third game against mm-hmm. Iran. In the first game, they're better on paper than any of the European playoff teams. I think they can get a win there. That's six points. Even if it's a draw in that game, that's four points. 
I think the most likely outcome of the game against England is a tie. So I see the U.S. coming through this with anywhere between five and seven points. England, on the other hand, they should beat Iran, but they have Iran in game number one when Iran is allowed to sit back and be tight and hope for a tie. They got the U.S. in game two. And then in game three, with no offense to Ukraine, obviously worldly things are going on right now for Ukraine besides soccer. I don't see them coming through the playoff, which means it's Wales or Scotland. Wales and Scotland are massive rivals to England. So England is going to get a better shot from Wales and Scotland than the U.S. would just because there's a bitter, hated rivalry. So all of a sudden, you think logistically about the way it sets up. Okay, the U.S. has Iran where you hope to play them in game three. England has Iran in that tough slot of playing them in game one. England has to play the playoff team from Europe in game three, probably Wales or Scotland, who they have a bitter rivalry with. So I don't think it's far-fetched for England to end up tying all three or picking up a win in two ties. I think the schedule just sets up better for the U.S. So I, at plus 700, I sprinkle on them to win Group B, and then I definitely hammer them at plus 150 to even qualify out of the group. So I don't get the odds. I don't know why it's like that. They're a top 15 team in the world. They have immense talent. Yes, they're young, but they match up really well in this group. So, I, I mean, beyond that, they're going to have – the U.S. is going to have – as far as your question, can the U.S. be this year's Croatia, they have a decent draw where in this round of 16, they'd play the Netherlands probably, um, or they'd play Qatar or, I guess, Senegal, um, depending on if the U.S. comes in first or second. So they could very well get to a quarterfinal. And then from there, it's crapshoot. I mean – Costa Rica has the population of like Dallas and Costa Rica in 2014 made it to the quarterfinal played to a tie against the Netherlands zero zero and lost in penalties. So a small nation like Costa Rica was penalties away from a semifinal in 2014, the U S in 2002, they were VAR existing away from making the semifinal and beating Germany in the quarterfinal. So once you get that to the quarterfinal, you never know but it does set up favorably for them to get through the group and through the round of 16. Hmm. All right. Well done. That was good. I like what you said about group B it makes a lot of sense. I think their draw is favorable when it came out and I saw Iran as the team in there. I'm like, let's go. And then when the other European teams came out, I felt good about that too. I just didn't want Ghana in there again. Ghana's always a pain. We always play Ghana. So I was glad not to see Ghana. Yeah. Harder. yeah. Nice. All right, Joe. Uh, real quick, thoughts on opening day after you got that spiel out. Do you want to talk about Jacob deGrom or no? I don't really want to talk about <laughs> it. I mean, I'm happy that it's a bone issue, which is supposed to heal. Yeah. And should be fine. It's nothing structural. But like, why? Why is it always the mess? <laughs> and when, when are they, like, targeting his return, kind of? When they, said, they said, like, Memorial Day. Okay. So my next so. question is, will Jacob deGrom have more starts this season or will the Orioles win more games against the AL East? Oh, <laughs> uh, God. I mean, the Orioles are going to suck. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, probably. I hope it's deGrom starts. You would hope. I'd hope. I don't know <laughs> that for a fact, but. Yeah, okay. I don't really want to answer that question. Sounds good. Um, my MLB opening day preview, Joe, the teams I like this season, I like the Angels. I think they're finally going to be good for Mike Trout. I think they make the playoffs, might even win the AL West. Brewers, I like a lot out of the Central. I think they're very good. The Twins, I'm high on this year out of the AL Central. 
That division's really a crapshoot out of the White Sox. After the White Sox, I think Minnesota gets back to the playoffs. Um, and like the win totals that I like a lot, I like the under for Detroit. I think it's like 76 and a half. I feel like they overachieved big time last year. I know they have a lot of those prospects coming up this year, and, and they should be a pretty good offensive team, but the pitching still a bit of a question mark. And uh, I could see them getting in like the 68 range win total. So those are what I like. Very high on the Brewers, though. I like them. Um, AL, man, it's it's tough. There's a lot to like about Toronto. A lot to like. Tampa's always solid. Houston's going to be good again. Um, I mean, if I had a pick, I'd probably go the Blue Jays, even though that's like the trendy pick. But, God, their lineup, now that they got Matt Chapman there, and they brought Kevin Gaussman over in the offseason to go with Ryu and Robin Ray and, and Vladdy and Bichette and T. Oscar all a year older, and they're going to be really, really good. That AL East uh, is going to be Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, and Blue Jays. All will be good. That'll be a fun division to watch all year. And I guess they're still sorting through it, but don't underestimate the fact that a lot of teams are going to be missing a lot of important players when the Blue Jays are at home because Canada still has those restrictions where, you know, as of right now, based on the reports that came out, the Yankees, for example, if they go up to Toronto, they're going to do so without Donaldson, Judge, Judge, Stanton, Garrett Cole. Like, that's going to happen. So they're going to have a ridiculous home record possibly this year. So I agree with you on the Blue Jays in the AL. I feel like some point that like the Rays can't keep doing it, right? But like they keep I, doing it, like so they're going to be good again. I know, I know, <laughs> but I like the Blue Jays. I agree with you there. Um, in the Central, I, I do think last year was an anomaly for the Twins, but I, I like the White Sox. The White Sox have a lot of talent. Um, getting back to the playoffs for the Twins, yes, winning the division, I don't think so. Um, so that could be something that goes either way. Uh, out West, I agree with you. At some point, the Angels got to make it. Uh, and, and the Astros are probably the best team, but the Angels on paper could do it. So it's going to be tough. It's tough to handicap the AL. But in the NL, the Braves are the team to beat in the NL East until the yep. Mets prove otherwise, injury-wise. Uh, but the Mets lineup is deep, very, very deep, and the rotation is good as well. And then in the NL Central, um, I mean, same thing. Brewers got to be the team. And then out West, I can't trust the Padres. Don't think the Giants can replicate what they did last year. And the Dodgers are just ridiculous. So, yeah. The Dodgers are the Avengers. I mean, you add Freddie Freeman to that lineup. I don't know. There's not much not to like with that team. So, uh, yeah, that'll be pretty good. Yeah. All right. Opening day, th- great sports week. Masters Thursday, opening day Thursday. I mean, my goodness, Joe. Is Champions League Thursday, too, or is that Wednesday? Uh, I'm getting my Meeksewick stuff. Let me see. I think it's this week, though. I think you're right. It is. It's tomorrow. Benfica, Liverpool, Man City, Atletico. And then uh, Wednesday is Villarreal, Bayern, and Chelsea, Madrid. So it's all this Hell week. Hell of a week, Joe. Hell and then week. next week, too, will be the second legs of those. So we got national title tonight, Champions League in the midweek, Masters on the weekend, Champions League in the midweek, and opening day wrapped within that. Yep. And then you got uh, playoff basketball starting soon. Sucks soon hockey isn't until May. But... Yeah, hockey gets pushed back a little bit this year. We'll see. Um, all right, Joe, trivia time. You're kicking my butt. You're up 32 to 25, so good for you. Um, I got a good question, I feel like, for you this week, so I'll go first. Question's real simple. Bill Self is trying to become the 16th coach tonight. 
to win two or more national titles. Now I'm looking at the list of 16 coaches, Joe. I'll be honest with you. Five of them I've never heard of. One of the guys I've heard of, but you won't get. But the other four, I've never heard of. The other 10, though, are legends and that you no doubt have heard of. Um, so I'll make you get, I mean, you should get 10. You should really get them all. But in 90 seconds, it's going to be tough and just the nature of it. So I want to see, because you've been kicking my butt, too, I want to see if you can get nine of the 10 coaches. Ooh, all right. One, two. I believe, right. I believe you can do it. We're just looking for college basketball head coaches that have won two or more national titles. All right, let's run through the should-be easy ones. Yeah, go ahead. John Wooden. He's one. Yep. Uh, okay, yeah. Adolph mm-hmm. Rupp. He's two. Okay. Sticking with Kentucky, Coach Cal. Cal's only won one. That's right. He has only yeah. won. He's been to the Final Four a billion times, but he's only won one. All right. Uh, Roy's won two. Roy's, yep. That's three. Yep. Coach K. Yeah, there's four. Bobby Knight. That's five. Jim Calhoun. Six. Now, this is where we slow down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, are we, are, are we counting Patino's asterisk? Uh, yes, Patino counts. Okay, Patino counts. That's Kentucky seven. and Louisville, yep. Okay, because technically it's not. They, they took the banner away, but uh, just want to make sure. Okay. Um, seven. Oh, Jay Wright, more recent. Correct. So, you need Eight. one more. Oh. God, nobody else did it at the. Got thirty big seconds. Schools, okay. If how long was Rupp there, and who was at Kentucky like between Rupp and Cal? Like there's a long gap there where they won Natties. Uh oh. Oh, Billy Donovan. The back. Well done, Billy Let's Donovan. Go. Ten seconds if you can get the last guy, but I'll give it to you. I don't have a. F- Blue. Right. I don't bleep that out. <laughs> uh, the last guy is Dean Smith. Oh, all right. Yeah. Not as bad as I thought it was going to be. No. Yeah, so Dean Smith. The other five, so Denny Crum was the one I've heard of, but I mean, and then the other guys are Henry Iba, Ed Jucker, Branch McCracken, and Phil Wolpert. Branch McCracken sounds like a joke name. Like, like It's a great name. So, cousin of Phil McCracken. You there know? you go. Like, well done. <laughs> Billy was actually the one I didn't think you would get just because really? you, you forget. You just forget sometimes about those Florida teams. But Yeah, it's true. Well done. But, I think, right, but I think I was good because those Florida teams, that's like as a kid what got me into college basketball. Like that was around the Greg Oden time, yeah. Joe Kim Noah. Like that was kind of when I started to get into it. So that's why, probably why I pulled it. Um, because I've been kicking your butt and because of the World Cup, I kept mine what I think is simple. Just just give me the final four teams from the 2018 World Cup. We've mentioned multiple oh. ones of them. In I, I, I straight up said it in the podcast earlier. So if you were paying attention, yeah. I, I said I said at, at a point each of them that made it. So just name the final four. Damn it, Joe. Uh, all right. Well, I know France, England, and Croatia are three. Correct. And then... Oh, who did France play? I'm gonna say trying. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Was it? Mm, so I'm between like Germany or Argentina. Well, you got three strikes in a minute, so I know. Italy. Oh, it was a big one too. I remember like England, Croatia was like. Well, I'll help you out with. I'll help you out with this. 
Italy didn't make it to the World Cup okay, in 2018 either. And yeah. Germany, and Germany, like we said, keeping with the theme, they didn't make it out of the group stage after winning in 2014. Right. So I'll give you those two hints there. All right, I'll go Argentina as a guess. Strike one. Yeah. Um, Runners up in 2014, but they didn't. They didn't make it out of the group this time. They were in Croatia's group. Right. Was it Brazil? Was that Brazil? Yeah. Son of a biscuit. So I don't think it was Portugal. Don't think it was Spain. Oh man, this is gonna stink. It was a big one. Yeah. Oh, Belgium. Belgium. There Belgium. you go. There you Belgium, go. Belgium, Belgium. <laughs> you got that. Nice. I'm proud of you. <laughs> well done. All right. Appreciate that layup. Almost blew it. Almost a layup. <laughs> Almost blew it. Twenty six. Okay. Twenty six to thirty three. Belgium. Right, that's right. All right, Joe. Well, this was fun. Um, my bracket, I don't know about you, it's the worst bracket I've terrible. ever had in my life. It, same thing. My brother. The worst. I made an alternate bracket where I had Kansas winning. So, like, if that one if that one wins tonight, that bracket will end up probably in, like, the 85 percentile, which is respectable. But, like, just that was my, like, fourth bracket that I made for fun. Like, my, my legit cared about it, went meticulously through it bracket, the worst one I've ever made. The one thing that I did amazing at is my survivor pool and I didn't win, but I was between Miami and Iowa state. And I chose Iowa state because I knew a bunch of people would be on Miami. And I knew that if Miami lost would knock a bunch of people out. Had I chosen Miami, I would have tied and split it nine ways because I would have had Villanova over Houston, UNC over St. Peter's and Kansas over Villanova but I had already used Duke and I had already used, would have used UNC. So I couldn't have a champion, but nobody left in the survivor pool has a Gonzaga screwed everybody, Joe. When Arkansas beat them, screwed everybody. In and the my survivor, survivor pool. pool, my survivor pool as well. Um, I was set up going into the elite eight where I could not have a final pick. Same. I could have gotten to the final, but I would have had to hope that in the final, everybody lost. Um, <laughs> Because Gonzaga screwed me, yep. but I was eliminated on having Houston over Nova. I was forced to pick Houston over Nova on that day. That was my only option, and that was it. So I didn't have to worry about it in the end. Tough, tough. Freaking Iowa State, Joe. I mean, I did have my, I did have Miami in that game actually yeah. in my survivor pool. So see, and I was my dad and I both have an entry, and he wanted to go with Purdue over St. Peter's, and I'm like, look, I think Purdue's going to win the game. But if they lose, I think you should take Miami so that one of us are guaranteed to survive. And, you know, jokes, you know the story. Aim. That's it. That's Aim. how it always goes. But, hey, we've got Aim. a good time of the year right now where indeed uh, we've got plenty, plenty to talk about. And hopefully we said it when we had them on for the brackets. Hopefully next week can be the week that we get Worm in to uh, talk all free agency, baseball, NFL, and, and kind of get going there, recapping what's hopefully a great match. Yeah, drafts coming up, coming up soon too. Yeah. 26 yeah. days or 24. So days. we got plenty. April's always a busy, busy time. April's, April's a good time. Big time. Yeah. All right, Joe. I'll see you next time. See you next week.